All right, James chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 12. We're going to start in verse 12 and we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. But our main verses for tonight are going to be verse 19 and 20. So we get to those last two verses and let's kind of hone in on, on those. That, that's where we're going to be tonight. I'm looking at the clock. We look good on time. Um, if we get out early, nobody's going to tell anybody that we got out early, right? You promise? Pinky swear? Okay. Looking at the children. Boys, you good? Good? All right. Amen. All right, so we're in James chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that, if, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now here's where we want to focus in on tonight. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. I want to talk to you tonight about a very uncommon prayer request. An uncommon prayer request. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, again, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that our hearts would be open to its message. Thank you, Lord, for your love for the local church, not only in dying for it, not only for it, your uh, providing its power and, and superintendence through the Holy Spirit, but also, Lord, giving it leadership, giving it duties, giving it responsibilities and a purpose, but also, Lord, giving it ways by which it can purify itself, ways by which uh, errors can be checked and gotten rid of, and ways that lives can be restored. And, Lord, I pray we would discover more about what that means in this passage tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage tonight talk starts in verse number 13, really. And it talks about when you're in affliction, um, you should be in prayer. And when you're in joy, you should be singing. It gives a twofold prescription for when difficulties are in our life. And whether they are in our life or not, even if things are going relatively well, these are things that need to be essential in our lives. And that is prayer and praise. Can I get an amen? Prayer and praise. We should always be in prayer, always knowing that the Lord is ready to hear our requests. And not only our requests, but just to hear us talk to Him. You ever just talk to the Lord? You ever just set aside some time and say, Lord, help me now, because for the next five minutes of prayer, I'm not going to ask for anything. <laughs> that can be challenging, can it? To just go before the Lord and not ask for something. 
Sometimes some people treat him like he's their everlasting, instead of their everlasting father, like he's their everlasting butler. And although he does want to hear our requests and he does want to know uh, what we want in life and, and what we're having trouble with, he also just wants to hear from us. And at, at times we have to come before him and just pour out our souls before him. Some people find it easier to speak into their camera uh, or to look and take a selfie and uh, to talk, to rant about something on social media than to rant before the Lord, so to speak. To come before him with it. I mean, look at the prophets and look how they came before God. They came before him oftentimes with great complaints. <laughs> David often said in the Psalms, Lord, hear my complaint. And he had problems uh, in about life that he didn't understand. So he came before the Lord and wanted answers. That's perfectly okay and perfectly acceptable to the Lord. He wants to hear from you. Prayer has to be an essential part of our lives. Now, whether you, for some people do that different ways, I actually read a book recently and it was very encouraging about the pastor's prayer life. And the author had interviewed many different pastors. And what he found was pastors that were extremely dogmatic about their way of praying. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean by that? that? There was one pastor who said, I get up every morning as early as I can. The first thing is I do, I spend time in prayer. And to him, that, and he was quoting verses and saying, this is how it is to be done. And then another pastor would say, no, I don't do that at all. Uh, I have all, many times throughout the day where I stop. I have a routine before I, when I get in my car, I stop and I pray before the Lord. And then as I'm driving, I, I pray. And he said, and let me tell you something. I got verses right here to show you. This is how it should be done. And I appreciate both. I appreciate somebody who um, uh, says, I have developed a walk with God and uh, it's principled, it's on purpose, and I take time for prayer. That's a great thing. Do you have a time for prayer? Do you have a time where you say, this is when I pray? When the kids run in, they know, oh, mom's praying, dad's praying, that's what they're doing. Or when you walked in, you had your head bowed, would they say, what's going on with you? You asleep? <laughs> you know? Do you have a time of, for prayer? Prayer has to be an essential part of our lives. But not only that, verse 13 says, does any marry? Let him sing psalms. Just as important as prayer is praise. A lot of our hymns, they have a bit of repetition to them, and that's not a bad idea. Leaning on the everlasting arms. The whole point of that is to get it stuck in your head. And that's a good thing, isn't it? To, so we, we want you when, you, when you're out and about in the week, to be, to be humming as you're, as you're doing your work. You know, and your people looking at you. What do you, you know, to have a song in your heart. That's a great thing. It's a great thing to have melody in your heart from the Lord. The Lord talks about giving thanksgiving of, uh, to give, giving an offering of praise, giving thanks to His name. An offering of praise. Lord, I, I'm so glad tonight that you don't want an animal. I'm so glad tonight that I don't have to bring turtle doves or a lamb or anything else like that. The Lord's acceptable sacrifice is praise. <laughs> and He loves to hear it. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we like to hear your praise. It may not sound that good. But the Lord loves it all the same, doesn't He? That whether we have a great voice or no voice at all, he loves to hear our praise. Prayer and praise are important. They're essential to life. Every individual tonight, before they come in here, needs to have prayer and praise in their life. I tell this to our people often in Greenpoint, that if you will spend time in the Word of God and in prayer on a regular and even daily basis to develop a genuine, sincere walk with God. I'm not talking about being a scholar. But I'm just saying, taking time to have a relationship with God, taking the time. That if you will do that, when you come in for the next sermon, my preaching will sound a lot better. And not necessarily because I got better, but because your heart is open. Your heart is, is, is open to what the Lord has to say to you. You've already been walking with him. And when you, you don't have to walk in and you know, say, okay, church mode now. No, you've, no, 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 no. You've already been walking with him through the week. 
And hey, to come in with God's people is just a natural thing. And, uh, and, you can, and, and we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. Prayer and praise have to be a part of our lives. So verse 13, you could say, is the verse of the individual. The individual mandate of this passage. That each one of us has a responsibility to personally, spiritually develop our lives. We each have that responsibility. I would love to do it for you. Oh, I really would. But I can't. I cannot, I can't do it. I mean, preaching has a place. Don't get me wrong. It can help. It can grow. It can challenge. It can motivate. But the growth, this is like if you're working out, okay? This is the time with the personal trainer. But the personal trainer is just an hour a week, right? It's brief. Some of you are like, who knows? I've never seen one. You know, me too. I've never had a personal trainer either. But that time with the trainer is brief. But you've got seven days all to yourself. And your diet and your exercise, it's all on you if you're going to have any progress. Can I tell you, the Christian life is a lot that way too. That this time is valuable. It's essential. It's important. But there are uh, many other days in the week where you have to walk with God for yourself. But that's not actually the message tonight. I just want to let that be the foundation, if you will. That each one of us has an individual responsibility. Are you with me on that? Just give me a good old New England head nod. That's what the, in the South, they yell amen. In New England, we give a good head nod. And that's like an amen to us, okay? So a good head, head nod lets me know that you're with me. So for an individual, we all are in agreement that that is our responsibility. And we take it seriously. We enjoy it. In some ways, we have our own individual character to it. Some of you, maybe you, you read your Bible every morning. Those mornings are precious to you. For others, mornings are horrible things. and You wish you could just do away with them completely. And so for you, the evening is your time in the Word. And, and you love those, e- those evenings by, by a dim light where you where you're, have your Bible open and you're enjoying it. For, for some of you, it's, it's, you're on your, your gadget, your iPad, your Kindle, whatever the case, and, and, you're re- and you're reading that way. And that's, you know, each one of us has their own sort of character and nature to our prayer. For some of you have a prayer closet. Boy, you get in that closet and you pray. And others of you say, I don't have any closets <laughs> in my apartment. Uh, or the ones that you have are totally full, uh, if you're like our apartment. But you have that place that's yours. Maybe it's in your place. Maybe it's on the subway. When, everybody, when it's nice and quiet in there in the mornings and your eyes are closed and while everyone else has their eyes closed sleeping, your eyes are closed meeting with the Lord. Whatever it is, I don't care too much. But you have your time, your own sort of special place with God. And on that subject of prayer comes verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And then we know the sequence here of these next few verses that this is saying that beyond the individual mandate for prayer and for praise, there also comes a corporate mandate for prayer. That together we must be in prayer for one another. And aren't you so glad to be a part of a praying church? I mean, Open Door Bible Baptist Church is a praying church, is it not? This church prays. And can I say this? God answers our prayers. We pray and God answers our prayers. Sometimes not always the way we thought, <laughs> but he answers our prayers. We come before him in prayer. Those ladies get together on, on, on uh, midweek, before midweek service. Man, they're in there and they're praying. And they're praying for the needs of the church and the needs of the missionary. Those go you kids, they get in there on Sunday nights. Oh, I wish you could hear it. Hearing children pray is the greatest thing. It's so sincere. It's so beautiful to hear a child pray. 
And they're praying for everything. Lord, I pray for my mommy, pray for my daddy, pray for the police officer, pray for the walls, pray for my room, my pillow. You know, and they're just praying for everything. And they're just teaching us. It's great. Then we have this men's prayer meeting Sunday morning. The men of the church get together. Sometimes they eat first. They need some motivation. But they pray. And they say, God, give us a great day in your house. Protect us from evil. Protect us from evil, Lord, at that front door. Keep out what needs to be kept down and bring in what needs to be brought in. And, Lord, give us a blessed Sunday and be with the pastor as he preaches. And, Lord, help our people. And just pray. Then we get together for these all-night prayer meetings with the men. I've only had a few, but, man, are they something. They are something. Now, you wouldn't want to see them because, boy, we look horrible about 2, 3 in the morning. We're a scary-looking bunch. But, man, we're praying all through the night. Got down on our knees a few years ago and said, God, give us that building if it's your will. And he answered our prayers, and he gave it to us. And we prayed. We've prayed. We've struggled through prayer corporately. And God has blessed and God has answered, hasn't he? It's been great. So there's a corporate... Op- oh, and of course, how could I forget Sunday nights? Man, we're praying for the neat people in the church. We're praying for missionaries. I, I, I've been in churches where I don't know any of the missionaries' names. And, boy, we, I mean, we at least recognize them because we're praying for them once a month and, and bringing them before the Lord. We're praying for the needs of the church. We're praying for the mayor. Good night. We're praying for the mayor. We're praying for the president. We're praying for people we don't even particularly like. But we're praying for them because God told us to pray for them. We're praying for countries around the world, countries that love us, countries that hate us. We're praying for people. And we're praying for the ministries of the church. We're praying for the families in the church. It's important for a church to pray. Of course, down at the bottom there is the special requests. Those are great. You're praying oftentimes for someone needing a job or, or someone's family member needing to be saved. Or Probably the most common one down there is sickness, isn't it? And asking the church, pray for this sickness, this need. The Bible says that there, it gives special provision as to how to do that. And I don't want to get too much into that tonight, and I think that's probably more pastor's job than my job to really uh, uh, set that standard in the church. But there is, you can see from this passage that there is the need for corporate prayer. And for when someone is in, in serious illness, not only to pray for themselves, not only to ask their family to pray, but to assemble the church around them for special times of prayer. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've been involved in that many times as a minister, and it's great. To be praying for someone like that. And it ta- comments there in verse number 15 about the prayer of faith saving the sick. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So you see that there's two types of illnesses there that are mentioned. There is the illness that comes because it's an illness. And there is no explanation that we know of. That any doctor knows of Just a part of what the Bible calls uh, time and chance happening to us all, that we are all victims of the fall. That's in Ecclesiastes there, but we're all victims of the fall. And because of that, um, uh, we are a fallen man, and there are things in medical, the medical science just cannot explain that happen. And in those times, we pray, we seek the Lord. We say, Lord, we don't understand, but we know you do. And we pray, Lord, that you would heal the sick. And there are other times the sickness comes because of sin. Now, I'm not necessarily here talking about saying someone is sick, so let's all just wonder if maybe there's a sin in their life. I'm talking about their sins brought about the consequence of illness. 
And that can be for a multitude of reasons, because of lasciviousness, sexual promiscuity, because of uh, a gluttonous lifestyle, because of a a, uh, flamboyant sort of, I don't care, I'm going to do whatever I want to do lifestyle. And those sort of sicknesses come, uh, and it says that if they have sins, they'll be forgiven them. So if there's an illness that comes by sin, then that needs to be prayed for as well. That the church is patient enough to come around somebody and say, you put yourself here, but we're going to help you out. (laughs) And we're going to pray for you. And that, and, uh, and, and, and if you're repentant, we're going, to, we're going to come around you and we're going to pray that God will restore you. And in that vein, verse 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. So now this is kind of on the tail end of that idea of illness coming from sinfulness. And that part of our function as a church, as we pray together for one another, is also in that prayer to be able to come and say, I'm struggling here. I need help. Please pray. That's that's something, now we're getting into kind of a different level of prayer request, aren't we? It's not necessarily maybe even the one you'd want to raise your hand and say, please pray for me, I'm struggling with this. You You might not want to make it public like that. But perhaps to your brother or your sister in Christ during the prayer meeting or in some sort of time of prayer, you might want to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here with this. I can remember in Bible college, it was such a uh, formative time in our lives, and especially in the dorms, uh, where guys would really open up with one another about what they were struggling with. Um, we experience this to some degree when we go to the men's retreat, when we have ladies' conference. We take the time to really kind of drop a veil or two and say, I, I'm struggling here. And I need you to pray for me about this. And that can be a blessed time as well. Not only because you receive prayer, but because now you've kind of unburdened yourself a little bit. Now there's somebody else who knows what you're struggling with. And that can be a blessing, can it? When you, I mean, it, you don't necessarily want to. Uh, maybe, maybe it's easier for ladies than for men, I don't know. But I know, guys, we don't want to tell each other our problems, <laughs> you know. But sometimes we need to do that. We need to say, hey, I am struggling here and I need prayer. So those are, I would say, prayer requests that are common and good. When we're sick, to ask for prayer, right? That's a blessing. That's a good thing. We should do that. When we're sick, because there is no good reason, or because we know exactly the reason, uh, we should come, for the, come to our brothers and sisters in the local church and ask for prayer. That's great. It's a blessing. It's something this church is good at. I mean, is really, really good at. And there are times where we need to ask for prayer because we're struggling in life. We're struggling in life. Pray for my family. We're, we're fighting. Pray for me. I'm having trouble with the kids. Pray for, pray for me and my spouse. We're, you know, those, types, those more intimate times of prayer, again, they're not necessarily ones you want put on the prayer list, but in, in, with your brothers and sisters in Christ to, to say, hey, you know, can you help me here? With, with your pastor, the pastor's wife to say, hey, would you really pray for me about this? That's, that's great. That's good for you. That's good for them. It's good for everyone involved to get around that thing and pray. That's a blessing. And you can almost say that we expect that, right? I mean, that is something we expect in the local church, to have this sort of confession, this sort of prayer. Are you following me? Are you with me? Okay. In fact, you would certainly expect it out of a prophet, right? It talks about Elias <laughs> praying and stopping the rain. Well, yeah, you would expect a prophet to pray that way, right? And uh, there is power in prayer. And he prayed and there was no rain for three years and six months. Now, though, we see the benefits of assembly in the local church because of praise and prayer. 
You can come in the church and you can praise. You can literally rip. You can sing with all your heart. And there's, yeah, you can sing by yourself. And that's great. If you do in your private devotional life, great. And if you have a song in your heart all day long, even better. Wonderful thing to have. But there's just something about standing together with God's people and lifting up your voice and singing. It's great. And the type of songs that we sing, there's just some, they're somehow conducive to proclaiming the word of God. To, to lifting up your voice to God and also proclaiming to each other. You're singing, are you washed in the blood? You're singing that to each other, aren't you? You're asking each other. You're keeping each other accountable. Um, one of our favorite songs at our church is No, Not One. And we get the children up there and they sing it. I think we've done that here too. And, uh, and that's like a testimony song. There's songs like that where it's a testimony. You're telling each other uh, that no one else could save us but the Lord. No, not one. No, not one. And, and you're singing songs like that. They're a blessing, aren't they? So the church is conducive to praise. The local church is certainly conducive to prayer. But there's something else that the local church is conducive to that maybe we don't think about that often. And it comes from verse 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That the third thing, and there's more, but that are talked about here in this passage, that the church is conducive to is the correction of a Christian who has lost his way. The correction of a Christian who has lost his way. Now, through my study in this past week, I believe that that's what those verses are talking about. That it's not talking about someone who is not saved getting saved. And it's not talking about someone who was saved losing their salvation. It can't talk about that because that's not a thing. (laughs) Not in the Bible, anyway. It's talking about a Christian who's lost his way. Pastor mentions Calvinism a lot and, and really goes out of his way to be very proactive and batting down that doctrine whenever possible. And I, and I appreciate that, that he talks about it, because it is, it's just all over the place. And this is the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and so uh, Calvin's kind of recelebrated. There's zillion books coming off the presses, literally being released every day about the Reformers, uh, because there's just a big market for it right now in, in the Christian crook store, I mean bookstore. Uh, but uh, but um, there, there's a lot of people talking about it. So it, so it also needs to be said... That that is possible. Because a Calvinist doesn't believe it's possible. The fifth point of Calvinism, of the tulip, P, is preservation of the saints. Where they would say that if you are out in sin and you profess to be a Christian, then you weren't a Christian. Um, no. I don't think so. I mean, is that possible? Sure. But a Christian can lose their way. And the way I'm sure about that is because, well, first of all, the Bible says so right here. That someone within the local church, because again, the context of these, these verses here, starting from verse 14, 14 forward, is those that are assembled with you. People in the local church. Someone, uh, if there be any of you that errs from the truth. So someone was in the truth, but they have erred. It's not that they're not saved anymore or anything like that. It's just that they were walking with God, and like Demas who had forsaken Paul, something in their life happened. Some sin got in. They left the door open. You've heard me say it before. The devil isn't trying to kick your door down. 
He's just waiting for you to leave it cracked open. And you left the door cracked open in your life and the devil got in there and created doubt and created fear and created failing and created um, uh, just a spiritual sleepiness, if you will, um, an an apathetic attitude. The devil got in there and you went astray. Now, I'm seeing some heads go up and down tonight. I'm assuming as a testimony that you are agreeing with me that this is certainly possible in the life of a believer. Now, Calvinist doesn't believe that, but we do. <laughs> that that can happen in the life of a believer. Someone who is born again, who's had a sincere conversion experience, has gone from death to life through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, has even gone as far as to step, and I'm, I'm thankful I haven't tripped and fallen into this thing tonight, but has, has even come through the waters of baptism, and given a public testimony to that congregation that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and what you see here as a picture has happened to me on the inside in my spiritual life. And I've been buried with Christ and raised again um, to walk in newness of life, and everyone applauds, and you should. It's great. Baptism is exciting. Pray for us that we can get a baptistry in Greenpoint. I want to start baptizing right away. I don't. I mean, thank you for the offer to come over here, but I want to baptize in Greenpoint. We've got a building. Let's put a baptistry in there, right? I need an amen. Amen. Pray for that. Horse trough if we have to. Well, I don't, I don't even care. Just deep water. Amen. Someone can go through all that and walk with God, but then they can become vulnerable through their own sin. Through, and it happens in all different ways. Maybe they, they develop like Amnon. He had a friend. <laughs> and he had a friend that encouraged him and encouraged him and said, who, who are these people to say you shouldn't have what you want? You're a prince. You should have what you want. Somebody, there's always people like that, right? There's always somebody that will, will try to tell you. You want to do something, you know it's wrong. You'll have 20 people around you telling you it's wrong. But if you try hard, you'll find that one that encourages you to go on that wrong path. Usually where you find them is on the Internet, Right? There's always, an, a phrase I say in our church often is, there's always an audience for error. There is always an audience for error. There is always going to be someone out there that, will, that is willing to go along with whatever evil deed you have conceived in your heart that you feel justified that you should do. Always an audience for error. And maybe that's the way it comes into your life. Maybe it comes in through just uh, life becoming overwhelming and busy and in some of the guards the walls you had in your life you've just kind of not kept maintenance on them and and like a leaky roof drip 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 sin is starting to get in there and bad influences and before you know it you have what's the verse say aired from the truth that the truth that you once walked in you so were were so convinced and so so believed in through the consequences by your own actions i'm not trying to say you're a victim here but through sin that you've allowed into your life, you've erred. That's an old word, but it, 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 it means exactly what you think it means there in, in that context. You've gone aside. You've turned. Gone the wrong way. You've sinned. And now, through that error, you're out of the truth. Well, that is certainly very possible when you're not regularly involved in a local church. And it's why... Though technology has advanced so incredibly to where now we have, um, if the point of church was just to get preaching, if it was just to get preaching, well, you can get that 
outside of the church, can't you? I mean, there's infinite number of downloads available of sermons, and every church out there is posting all of their sermons for free. This church posts them for free. Live streaming has become huge. Um, Beyond network television, YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, just all these services out there. So the syndication of sermons is, is endless in 2017. And right now, one of the big leading churches in that, they're experiencing with, with, experimenting with VR. <laughs> so they actually want you to, those like VR goggles, they want you to be able to put those on and you have a seat in their church during the worship service and you can just worship right along with them and uh, sit in the service. And people will even come greet you uh, during the service and you can have a virtual church experience. Some of you are like, oh, look that up. No, don't be doing that, okay? But, I mean, it's coming. I mean, it's already here. They are already, it's already in beta. It's already happening. So, I mean, if, if that was the point, just simply to hear a sermon, well, there's plenty out there. Uh, there are churches, and, and, and now one of the leading churches in this is, is making this technology available for any church for free. Our church could do it for free if we wanted to and use their platform to where you can have an online church, online membership, online giving, where everything is completely online. There's no obligation to come to the church at all, and you can go completely online. So, <laughs> you say, well, why don't you just do that? Well, because... The local church, its function goes beyond the intake of content. It goes beyond the intake of content. And I love listening to good sermons, by the way. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Our, this website, uh, opendoor.odbbc.org, this church's website, has got like five, six years worth of sermons, old missions. If you like the missions conference, how many, how many of you, this was your first missions conference this year at this church? Did you go to missions conference first year? Second? Yeah? Okay, one or two there. They've got like five years of them online. You can listen to, and they're great, and, and they're worth listening to. But you can't eat an international dinner on the website. You can't go to the prayer meeting on the website. You, you see what I'm saying? That the function and the, the benefits and the, what, the, what the church is all about, it goes beyond the intake of content. It is also about interaction. It's about interaction. Even in the verses about prayer that we read, yes, bring the elders and have them pray, and there's plenty of churches that will answer your prayer requests online, but they can't come around you and pray. And I'm telling you, and I've been in those moments at hospital beds and in people's homes and in the church where it's not even a part of the service, but we're coming around. And, and even my wife and I stood right here when you commissioned us to be, to be gospel ministers, uh, commissioned me along with her to be gospel minister. And does anybody remember what we did, those of you that were here? Everyone came forward, hand on shoulder. We laid hands and prayed according to, according to the command of the Bible. Can't get that online. Can't get it at all. And there's, I mean, God wants us to do that. You have to do that. God wants us to. He says that's important. He says that's important. That sort of actual touch, that sort of communication that goes beyond anything that technology can do. Isn't it funny how the truth of the gospel, how the Bible, it just transcends. It jumps right into 2017. It doesn't miss a beat. It says that today, that is still important. In our neighborhood, you see, you, it's, un, it's not uncommon because uh, we're kind of a hip, hipster sort of neighborhood and Astoria is quickly becoming that as well, to see people in the coffee shop on their laptops, but also now to see them on the typewriters. Yes, anybody seen anybody on a typewriter lately? I've seen people on typewriters, people 20, 25 years old, and they're typing on typewriters. Why? Well, because they've never experienced the sensation that only a typewriter can give. Yeah, is it nostalgia? Probably. But they want the creative inspiration that comes from, if I click the wrong thing, it's a mistake, I have to go back. 
and that sort of carefulness that comes with a typewriter that you kind of lose in advanced technology. So there's some things about the local church that you just can only get by being here. You have to show up. You have to, you have to be here. Now, when I watch the Mets and, you know, it's been, you know, it's been a tough year. And, uh, but when, when, you watch, when, you, when you watch your favorite baseball team or whatever the case, when you're watching it at home on your big screen, you truly have the best seat in the house, don't you? You're right up front. You're at the perfect angle. You, and nowadays, as soon as the pitcher throws the pitch, boom, it shows you exactly where the ball went, the speed, the speed count. I mean, it gives you all these details instantaneously. All the players are wearing GPS equipment now. They give you all these statistics right away. You truly have the best seat of the house. Of the house. But anybody who's ever been to MetLife or, or, or Yankee Stadium knows there ain't nothing like being there. <laughs> the energy of the crowd, the taste of that wonderful popcorn and hot dogs, yes, and all, and all the other things that come from the, everyone cheering and then doing the wave and that excitement. Even though when you're watching it on TV, it's the best seat, it's nothing at all like being in the cheap seats. It's not nearly as exciting and as fun and as, I mean, my kids have watched a zillion football games with me. But if you ask them about sports, all they're going to tell you about is the time we went to Yankee Stadium and the time we went to to MetLife Stadium. I mean, that, those are the memories that are burned in their mind, that are exciting, that touch their hearts. And can I tell you that the same is tr- true with church? That when you assemble together, when you are in prayer for one another, when you praise God together, when you go through the struggles of life, that come, necessarily, they come, don't they? And there is exciting times, and there are times of heartache and tragedy, and all those times, you bear one another's burdens. It's something you just can't get anywhere else. And I thank God for it. Oh, I thank God for it. But something we probably don't thank God enough for is this last function that's mentioned here. And that is that when we come into the local church and there is a problem in our lives, a problem that we have created through sin, when we have erred from the truth, And a brother or a sister or most often a pastor (laughs) or a pastor's wife comes to us and says, what's going on? I I think something isn't quite right here. I'm I'm concerned for you here. I know it's going to sound like I'm getting on your case, but but, uh, there's something going on here. I'm I'm sorry. I see something here that's got me concerned. Or I heard, (laughs) this is the worst. (laughs) I heard your kid say something the other day that got me concerned. (laughs) Oh, that's embarrassing. That's something about the local church we probably don't give enough thanks for. But something that is absolutely essential to growth in our Christian life and our maturity as believers, and even for our young people to grow up into mature adults, is that when we're in the local church, when you're serving God with the same people week in, week out, if something isn't quite right in your life, they have the boldness and hopefully also the humility to come before you and say, and like I said, most often it's the pastor or pastor's wife, uh, and say, I, I, I see some error here that's got me concerned. Now, I'm not bringing this up to say, all right, everybody start looking around. And if you know somebody that's got something that's not right, I'm, no, I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say, go, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not trying to usurp the pastor's authority or anything like that. Most of the time, those conversations are best left for the pastor, the pastor's wife. But you understand what I'm saying. That that... Coming together week after week after week, it creates a level of accountability that is healthy for your Christian life. Because if we have it our own way, 
our tendency is to kind of be hermits. To kind of say, okay, uh, don't get all up in my business here. You know, I don't, I don't. And, and so in many cases, that's enough to keep most people out of church. Is I don't want to go in there and somebody, you know, brings this up. Or da, 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 and, and so they'll just stay out completely. But if you do manage to get in, one of the first things that will get you out often is when somebody comes and they offend you, especially if it's the pastor or his wife, because they're trying to help you when you've erred from the truth. Can we all acknowledge tonight that that does happen in our lives sometimes, that we err from the truth? Sometimes it happens, and we're completely oblivious to it. We're completely oblivious to it. We have, through our own decision, we've gone gung-ho on this decision. We've decided this is what we're going to do, and I'm being intentionally vague here. But we've said, you know what, this, and we start running with it. And then somebody, like I said, usually the pastor, pastor's wife, has to come and say, hey, you know, have you, uh, have you prayed about that? Because, <laughs> you know, we had somebody else in this church once like that, did the same thing, and boy, it hurt us. And that, those moments of vulnerability, they can make us or break us. For some people, they'll be out of the church that fast. That's scary. I don't know about for Pastor Montoro, but for me, that's scary. I mean, my church is small. I don't want to offend anybody. To have to come to some, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to financially get on our feet down there in Greenpoint. To have to come to somebody, especially somebody where I know that they could be a financial blessing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, don't, don't act like you don't think pastors ever think this, all right? It, it, we think about it, it, it's just a part of life, okay? But I know that person could be a blessing. But I've got to put all that aside. Why? Because of what the rest of the verse says. Verse 20. Let him know. The him there is the person doing the correcting. The pastoral care being applied. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. What, may, what, what enables me and helps me to put all that aside and say, you know what, I know this person, if I offend this person, if I bring this up, there's a chance they could bolt and, and I know that they have these, they, they, these resources available to them and they could be a blessing or, or perhaps they have this talent and boy, we could use a piano player and boy, we could use someone that sings and boy, it'd be nice to have a good usher and boy, it'd be nice to have somebody who knows how to work on a building and it'd be nice to have all these things that I put all that aside. Why? Because what's more important than any of those things is their soul. It says you'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. That if we are left to our own devices, oh my goodness, the trouble we can cause. That if we don't try to nip this in the bud early, there's a chance this person's life is going to go out of control. You say, Pastor, it's not really any of your business if I drink or not. You know What I do in my own home with a glass at night is really none of your business. trying to hide a multitude of sins yes you can drink one drink nothing will happen okay that's like telling a child yeah you can put your hand right by the flame and nothing will happen but eventually you do it one too many times you're going to get burned and it's not because it's when 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 a pa- i just bring up drinking i don't think anyone in here is i'm just bringing that up because just came to my mind the reason why we make a big deal about that beyond beyond the obvious biblical commands not to be involved in intoxicating beverages of any kind Beyond the obvious biblical command is because that sin will take you somewhere that you do not want to be. And the goal is not to offend you. And the goal is not to, to have you run out of the church and say, well, I'm going to find a place that says it's OK. Because trust me tonight. Listen to me tonight. 
If you want to do that or you want to do any other sin that is talked about from the pulpit, you can find a church willing to capitulate, willing to say, yeah, come to our church. It's fine. I'm reading a church. I'm reading a a book right now by a man named Joe Dallas, uh, who is an apologist, if you will, again, uh, a a Christian who used to be uh, a homosexual. And not only was a homosexual, but he was involved in debating uh, uh, conservative biblical Christians uh, trying to prove that it was okay as a Christian to be homosexual. This guy has an amazing testimony. And of course, he's converted from all that. And now he's on the right side of the issue. Praise the Lord. He's married to a woman. Thank God. Has children. But it's amazing because in his testimony, he says that he went to a church uh, when, when he had fallen into this lifestyle, he got out of church completely. Once he was tired of the lifestyle, he came to a church that he knew would be accepting of the lifestyle. And he found there that they were completely accepting of it. And he was so excited because he said, finally, here's a place where it's okay. But he said, even in the first service, I knew there was a problem. Because I knew I was battling with what I knew to be right and what I wanted to be right. He knew even in that lifestyle that it was wrong. And he was in a place where they were willing to say it was okay, but he knew in his heart it wasn't. He knew, he knew according to the Bible it was wrong. And instead of doing what was right, he jumped both feet in to that church and embraced, even knew he knew it was wrong, because he wanted it to be right. If you want, if there's some sin that has been confronted to you, you can find a church that will say it's okay. That's really not the issue. Because the issue isn't finding the church that fits your lifestyle. You know when pastor always talks about the purpose-driven life? That's why he's always talking about it. Because he's trying to hide you from a multitude of sins. He's trying to save your soul from death. Because that sort of attitude towards the Bible, of let me just go find a place that teaches the way I want, that sort of attitude is going to create a multitude of sins in your life. Because you can just keep going down that staircase as far as you want to go. Find a church that says it's okay to drink. Find a church that's okay to live outside of wedlock. Find another church that says... and. Oh, Good night. We have so many people in our neighborhood that go to Hillsong in Manhattan. That church is totally out of control. That pastor recently said he was on The View last week. The View. The pastor was on The View. Pastors, if The View calls you and they want to do an interview, just say no, because they're going to get you, man. And, uh, but he was on The View, and he couldn't say that abortion was wrong. It was absolutely incredible. And what line that he said that just defines the age is he says, you have to live by your own convictions. I mean, a, a line on a, on a d- daytime show that really defines a generation of ministers. Telling people, just live the way you want to live. Oh, the Bible? Well, yeah, I mean, it's got some good advice, but you live the way you want to live. Praise God we, where we attend a church here, Open Door Bible Baptist, where we don't get that every week. Gobbly, gook, mushed up, pro- overly processed. Blech. But our pastor stands up, and it appears that he believes the Bible. And it appears that he doesn't mind telling you what it says. And it appears that he does it in a way that's loving and caring. And he wants to help you in your life. And he wants to help your soul. But he's also willing to say it, whether it offends you or not. We should be thankful for that. It's rare these days to find anyone who stands up and actually seems to believe what they're saying. I mean, if, you've been, if, you watch, if you're a politics junkie, you definitely know what I'm talking about, right? One talking head after another. Blah, 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 blah. And it's obvious they don't believe a word of what they're saying. <laughs> Gobbly gook. And every Sunday and every Thursday to come to this place 
And here, whether it's our pastor or, boy, did Brother Park do a great job in the missions conference. We have guest speakers here all the time, Brother Clayton here recently. And to have preachers stand up. And when we're sitting there in the pew, and I've been one of them. Oh, yeah, Pastor Mike, too. I've been here every Sunday night for the, what, five years that we've been here? I've been here every Sunday night, too. And I get preached to just the same. And to tell you this, I need it just the same. Because sometimes I'm in the error of my way. And the preaching comes along and it corrects. And it saves this soul from death and hides a multitude of sins. The multitude of sins, it's, it's a big term. Because it's not just your life that your sin affects. I'm looking at my boys back here. It affects their lives too. The choices they're going to make, the decisions that they're going to all have to do with my own life. It, it, it affects the people that I minister to. It, 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 excuse me, it affects so many. And it does for you too. And that's something the local church can give you that just nowhere else can. And when you feel the boom, arrow, sometimes that's what preaching's like. It's like an arrow. It finds its mark on your heart. The Word of God does. Then you can step out of that seat, walk on down, Brand, look at that, brand new. This thing's probably got a couple layers of varnish on it, brand new for you to put your knees on and leave it there. Say, God, thank you for this message. Pastor doesn't even, he don't even know that he's preaching to me tonight, but that one was for me. That one got me. He wasn't even preaching about what I'm going through, but I needed to hear that. And you're corrected and you're turned. And I believe the word is, converted from the error of your way. It's something that really only the local church can give. And it's one of the best things that we have. One of our best kept secrets is the accountability that it brings to our lives. The the opportunity to have correction. It's hard to get stuck in your ways in the local church. Some people say, well, I don't like in the church how everyone seems to have their own seat. Well, you may not like that, But I can tell you this, that's probably one of the few things in their life where they're stuck in their own ways. Because everything else, you know, the Word of God changes, doesn't it? So if they just love that seat, then you know what, just let them have their seat. Because everything else in their life, they bring it down here to the altar. And they're changing. And they're being challenged. Sometimes, boy, you you know what I'm talking about? Some of these services where the pastor's got to get up and deal with something that you don't want to hear about at all. You know? Or you're saying... Boy, I hope there's no visitors here tonight because this is a doozy. <laughs> Those are tough sometimes. When I got saved, that, it was that sort of service. The, pa- the preacher got up and preached on Proverbs 29.1. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And he basically told us to get saved or God was going to kill us. <laughs> you say, well, boy, that's scary. No, it's right. It's right. It's what I needed to hear. That death was imminent. I had it wrapped up in my silly, immature 15-year-old head that I was going to live till I was 80. Why? Because Grandpa did. Why not me? And I was corrected. I was turned from the error of my way. And it saved this soul from death and hit a multitude of sins. And I encourage you tonight, sometimes the most underappreciated, unheard prayer request is when we're struggling with error, with sin, and with doubt. There are hard questions in life There are hard questions about the Word of God. There are hard questions about faith and about prayer, about all these things. Can I tell you that there are simple answers in the Bible? That most often, God has to uncomplicate us to get us to the simple truth. 
that is before us. And being a part of this local church will put you on that path. And let's thank God tonight. I, I didn't mean this to be a sermon all about thanking God for our pastor, but, you know, it would be weird if he was sitting there. So I guess it's okay. To, you know, he's not here. But just to say thank God that we come to a church that has a pulpit like this. Maybe some of you tonight, you took some time away from the church. And you went to some other churches. People do that sometimes. And you bounced around. We have a dear lady that attends our church. Her name is Shirley. She's here a lot. She loves the Lord. But before she came to our church, she went to every other church in the neighborhood. We were the last one on her list. And when she, you know, talking to her about why she decided to say, she said, because you guys believe what you're saying. I, I read your doctrinal statement online, and then I hear you preach, and it's the same thing. And, and you're, you're telling us the truth. And, uh, you know, that's all we could have. That's not any great preaching prowess. That's just trying to be honest with the word of God. The, the biblical term is rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's thank God tonight that we have a pulpit that's here. That, I mean, is literally built, not only built by our pastor, but built on the right foundation. It's with the word of God. That there's a, there seems to be, and, and it's rare in churches, a demand from the pew here. And, and at Union Baptist, thank God. There's a demand from the pew for sound biblical teaching. And not only that, but to go beyond that and say, Pastor, we give you permission, not that he needs it, <laughs> but our hearts are open, and if you want to step on our toes, do it. Do it. We want God to change us. We want God to push us forward. We want God to get involved in every area of our life. And we know that out on our own, we're willing to put up walls and to keep God out. When we walk in here, the walls come down, and our hearts are open. Lord, we're open to your word. We're open to correction. And when those times come, when a brother or sister, and most often the pastor or his wife, to come to you and say, there's error, know that it's not to offend you. (laughs) It's to help you. Let's be open to that sort of help in our lives. Let's bow for prayer. I don't know what we normally do, but let's have an invitation. Music begins to play. You want to use this altar, make an altar out of your seat, whatever.